Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I am here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic. Um, I think today is going to be a monumental episode. Um, oh, wow. So now that I've put that out there, we have to deliver, so no pressure. Um, and um, this might be a multiple episode article that we've kind of stumbled across, but I think it probably has that much potential for impact and maybe uncovering some of the inadequacy of the understanding of what it is that we're dealing with when we talk about blood sugar and health related conditions related to blood sugar. So with that, that was a mouthful. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm excited to kind of start uncovering this and unpacking it so people can kind of peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah, me too. And I I love the history behind this. So what we're going to be diving into and how long this question has been around and what, uh, what we've already discovered and what we're quote unquote rediscovering and how it's applicable to today and how the, the problems keep getting worse. But even though the solutions have, have, um, you know, been discovered a long time ago. Yeah. I know when I was growing up and this is probably a weird analogy, but uh, neon was a big thing, right? So in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties, neon checkerboard, slip on shoes, like, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. Well, neon's come back around. So everything seems to be cyclic. And some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today was once very widely accepted. Um, and then we'll talk about how the potential that uh, big food, big pharma, and you know, the the in, in the agricultural boom, the industrial revolution, all that kind of stuff that happened over the years has kind of led us to a point where we're um not really treating the cause of the problem, but we're really kind of um keeping the agreed upon metrics, so to speak, between the field goal posts. Mm-hmm. If, if we end up in between this range for this individual, then we've achieved a health metric, um, you know, that would be good for the individual. And that's just not true. The outcome, and we'll, we'll get into the details here. I don't want to be too abstract, but the, the outcome is not a better health metric or a better outcome for the patient, it's actually a worsening and a co- increasing of the comorbidities and other things that can happen. And it's incredible that um, in the age of information that we have and the access that we have um, to it, there's still this kind of almost blindness to it where um, I, I don't really understand other than maybe going down a rabbit hole of um, done on purpose, almost like, how can people not realize that this is the way that should be used yet the opposite mechanisms have been being used. So, um, I want to lay it out kind of, um, linearly if we can. Um, but I think it's going to be hopefully encouraging to people that have been struggling and not understanding why you can't get the results when you have blood sugar related issues. Yeah, I think that'll be good because we get to 
you know, peel back the layers of the onion a little bit and start getting to the crux of the matter. And, um, you know, because we, we, we've talked about in the past um, in, in a bit of a state of the union kind of way, the, the problems with obesity and, and blood sugar and, and diabetes and all the comorbidities. And, um, but, but getting to where, um, you know, almost like how did we get to this spot, like where we are today, where did the recommendations come from? Um, how are the treatments designed and, and what, what's the end goal of them? And why do some people feel like they've been struggling for, for decades and can't seem to, to gain any sort of control or traction, right? Yeah. And um, it really came from just the basis of one of the things that we teach and that our lives have been transformed by, which is this concept of insulin, insulin resistance and the insulin friendly lifestyle. So I was coming across a tweet the other day um, by an MD. His name is uh, Dr. Ellie Jarug. Jarug. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, he had a post where it was like, just really linearly linear thinking and too much insulin equals obesity, too much insulin for too long results in insulin resistance, which then is pretty much diabetes, type two diabetes, mm -hmm. too much insulin can also result in salt retention, which can result in high blood pressure. Uh, too much insulin can result in high triglyceride levels and high cholesterol. <laughs> and too much insulin can even put your body into a grow and divide pathway, which can increase your certain cancer risks, et cetera. Right. So we're looking at that. And then the article we're actually going to be kind of reviewing and pulling from is out of the Journal of Clinical Investigation. This was part of a review series where it's the 100th anniversary of insulin's discovery. So insulin was discovered 100 years ago. And this panel of docs went back and looked at, uh, you know, the titles, Carbohydrate Restriction for Diabetes, Rediscovering Centuries Old Wisdom. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting the timeline of what used to be accepted to where we are now and how far away from that concept that um, the discovery of insulin and the application of the use of insulin has really fueled the problem and put gasoline on the fire, so to speak, rather than actually like, you know, getting to the cause of blood sugar related issues and insulin resistance. Yeah. Almost like, um, like whenever technology or discovery kind of almost becomes an enabling um, kind of situation where, where we found a, a solution to an issue, or we found a way to somehow control it, which was, you know, a, a huge technological and, and medical breakthrough um, at the time. And it, it still is. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it allowed for enabling, um, you know, lifestyle things and, and diets and, and habits that were known to actually help um, with the issue. Like uh, it, the, the article leads off with low carbohydrate lifestyles have been used for the, for the last, you know, 300 years to prolong the lives of, of diabetic patients. Um, but with the discovery of insulin, those same diets kind of fell out of, out of favor. They became less popular because they they didn't feel like they were they were as needed anymore. Yeah, and that was one of the the most eye opening things, um, you know, when looking at, you know, kind of the the timeline, so to speak, um, the ADA guidelines and how they've changed over the years, and how in the seventies they went to that more uh, low fat, higher carb. Um, but what they've realized, you know, one of the things that's in here is the the high carbohydrate diet is how they how they refer to it. And that's the prevailing dietary pattern in the U.S. consistent 
with um, the recent recommendations for people with diabetes and the USDA recommendations for the general public. And that's greater than 45% of your carbohydrate uh, uh, daily intake coming from carbohydrates, meaning greater than 225 grams um, per deciliter of carbs in any given day. And it never used to be that way. Back before the advent of insulin, um, there was a uh, a high dependent or a high success rate. And it was the accepted treatment protocol for people that had um, uh, blood sugar related issues or diabetes to be on a low carbohydrate diet, which was, you know, uh, a medically uh, medical nutritional um, therapy, right? Where then as we've progressed through the decades, and we're not going to hit all of the exit ramps right on this timeline. But as things progressed, um, the creation of insulin, the uh, the, um, acceptance of insulin then led to this idea that, you know, especially when it became commercial, um, that diabetes patients didn't have a lifestyle induced issue and they could live more normally air quotes. Right. So like, I know you can see me, but air quotes normally, Mm -hmm. and it relaxed the food monitoring. Right. And then 25 years later, combine that with a flood of processed convenience snacks and cereals and, juices and mainstream marketing, you know, the 19, in the 1950s, the grocery stores just exploded in the 1970s. Those, those ADA guidelines, you know, where it's low carb, high fat, I mean, excuse me, low fat, higher carb Mm -hmm. um, is going to be heart healthy or heart protective. And you've got the, you know, the, the heart healthy label. Yeah. A little check mark. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's where I was going, which by the way, they just pay for. Um, Yeah. You can buy them. You can get like a group discount if you have a bunch of products. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So we're not, well, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but yeah, I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, in the show notes, we'll be like conspiracy. No, I mean, it, it's a real thing. You can just go look it up. So, right. um, but the problem is, is that, um, you know, again, you weren't addressing the underlying issue. You started, it's almost like having the answers to the test. So you had this, this complex problem that, you know, was, was then, you know, turned into a bigger problem when insulin became the standard bearer, um, or, or standard treatment protocol when other forms of lifestyle management or other medications didn't get the result, you ended up in this place where you were cheating the system because you were using insulin to drive the blood sugars down, which is a natural process. But when you have resistance, that process doesn't work as efficiently as it should. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, the, 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 the problem of the misguided uh, recommendations with the uh, commercially available insulin, which allowed people to kind of, I don't know if it, I mean, I'm sure, I'm assuming it wasn't intentional, but to just kind of sit back and be like, no, it's okay. I don't really need to make these changes because we have this stopgap that's going to save my life. And that's the right. complete actual opposite of what, what happens. Um, because we know that when you have diabetes, that you have a higher risk of heart issues, um, which is like one of the number one comorbidities when you, when you're, when you're not, uh, uh, correcting the disease, but merely managing it. Correct. Right. And, you know, I, I thought it was, it was really interesting. Um, in the article, it said in 1979 that the ADA guidelines were revised. They revised the goal of dietary management from avoiding deleterious metabolic derangements. So they were trying to avoid issues with actual metabolism, um, and they switched it to maintaining plasma glucose as near to the normal physiologic range as possible. So, 
so they, they changed the endpoint. They changed where the goal post was. Um, and insulin is exactly what allows, you know, a, a patient or a provider to be looking towards that particular goalpost because insulin is generally administered to actually control what the plasma glucose levels um, read. But the problem is then that takes the complete focus on what the insulin levels are and also what's, what's causing the issue um, being the lifestyle uh, changes that were so uh, readily accepted beforehand and then almost were allowed to kind of go by the wayside and become uh, much less popular after insulin became readily available. And one of the things that um, was really interesting is that, you know, some of the the investigation in this article, you know, over the last hundred years, you know, nutritionally we went from carb restriction to just, you know, like you just mentioned, <laughs> carb overload, right? Mm-hmm. Um, fiber was a savior at one point. Um, and then we've got also, you know, the insulin therapy and how that's, uh, you know, so-called improved over the years, because now we have rapid acting insulin and long acting insulin and different ways to kind of, you know, split the baby, so to speak, where you're like, well, if this isn't working, we can use this, you know, this modality um, and try to stabilize those blood sugar numbers. And the point I'm getting at here is over the years, the focus has gone from medical nutritional therapy. So pure like lifestyle, medical nutrition, like here is what you need to do to reverse this process or not let it progress or actually literally like increase your lifespan and increase your quality of life right. to an emphasis on pharmacotherapy and technology. And there's been some benefit with the technology, meaning for instance, insulin is extremely important for type one diabetics. Like it is a requirement or else that person will not survive right. benefit, not a benefit for type two diabetics. And on top of that, you know, insulin pumps, type one diabetics, hugely important because you can get real time data and real time insulin release to keep that person within a safe blood sugar range. Mm-hmm. Constant glucose monitors, those have been, you know, hugely impactful because now you have real time data every 15 minutes throughout the day, you can get a blood sugar reading. Yeah. So there's a benefit for the technology part of how we've gone from emphasis on nutrition therapy, medical nutritional therapy, and, you know, in the 1920s to where we are now, which is, you know, on pharmacotherapy, which um, really isn't, isn't beneficial for the long-term health of the patient. Yeah. And, um, you know, it wasn't very long ago that, that people didn't have access to, uh, you know, a glucose test. They couldn't walk around, like I couldn't pull my keto mojo out of my pocket and, and get a blood sugar and a ketone reading, you know, within, right. within two minutes, right? But if, if I was needing to take insulin and I was told to keep my blood sugar, you know, below hundred or 110, whatever I'm being told, that's, that's my, that's my goalpost. That's what I'm aiming for. And with that feedback from the technology, if I see that I'm within that range because I'm administering the insulin, then I'm, I'm getting positive feedback on, on the complete wrong thing, because I could be maintaining the poor lifestyle choices to further the problem, to further the disease and to shorten my lifespan while being told that I'm, I'm hitting the right marks and that I'm, I'm hitting the numbers I need to be. That, that's the problem, right? Yeah. And one of the crazy, I mean, Dr. Fung, uh, Dr. Jason Fung, who, you know, one of the books that we both read early on in our fasting journey um, had mentioned, he's like, he realized that uh, when he was treating, and obviously this is not a direct quote from him, but I remember him talking about in his stories he was telling in his book, 
he'd be treating his patients and one, he was a, a nephrologist and, you know, patients on dialysis, et cetera. And he'd be treating his patients realizing that like, they're not getting any better. <laughs> like right. they're actually getting worse. So that was one of the reasons why he pivoted and now have, has been doing the intensive diabetes management system and all this other stuff that he's created over the years. But, yeah. you know, the, the crazy take home for me was, you know, when I'm thinking through this is like high carb diets became popular, but not because of the superiority of the evidence. Like, that's why I was talking about early on in the vague nature that I said it, where it was like, okay, we have to look in the mirror here and be like, okay, what are the results, you know, of the practices that we've been doing and why in the first place were they ever changed? Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, and now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old has not slept consistently through the night uh, since he was born. We have tried everything you can imagine. He's our third child. And we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the air doctor pro in his room. And I am not joking. When I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night, the second night slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is uh, we had a feeling that it was something that we were missing and the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days. In some cases, up to 100 times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors, and we take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? An air purifier a cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money, and they have not done the results that Air Doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room. They filter out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants. That includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. So I don't know what it was that was keeping them up, but it is now gone. So Air Doctor comes with a 30-day Breathe Easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use promo code FASTINGFORLIFE to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. An exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and this, the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the Fasting for Life promo code. So if you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in. And now back to today's episode. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, and if if we can kind of zoom out, especially, you know, if if I'm currently, you know, suffering from from any of, um, you know, insulin related issues, if, if I'm zooming out and take a look at, at the history of where, where we are and, and where we kind of came from, that can give me a bit of perspective on, on why, 
why I might be kind of aiming towards the wrong goalpost, so to speak, right? Yeah, uh, some of this stuff came from the misunderstanding of, you know, type one, type two diabetes over the years, and the misunderstanding of what nutritional ketosis versus ketoacidosis is. Uh, So I know some of this stuff was insulated around like trying to obviously make the right decision for the uh, health and the life, literally the life of the patient in type one diabetes situations. But um, now we have a much better understanding of those effects, right? So one of the outcomes of this for me is like, okay, well, the the economic burden of diabetes in the US right now in 2017 was $327 billion and 15 billion of that was specifically for insulin. And that can be up to $800 a month for someone to be requiring insulin. And if you've known anyone that's on insulin um, uh, in the type two diabetes world, they're, they're typically um, uh, very health um, compromised. You know, right. from my personal experience, we've had runs in the family, the, the, heart, the heart attacks, the, car, the cardiovascular disease, um, obesity, obviously, you know, uh, the excess weight has issues, the high blood pressure, the high cholesterol. Um, but one of the easiest things we could do then is, you know, go back to the old tried and true uh, nutritional recommendations of decreasing the carbohydrate intake increasing your insulin sensitivity, which is how well your insulin works that you have in your, in your bloodstream and how, how, how well your body is producing it, how much it's producing, and then how, how well it's acting actually to remove the sugar. But mm-hmm. if you have less sugar in your body or less carbohydrate intake, then you have less need for the insulin, which gives that body an opportunity to repair. And it's just crazy to me that, you know, it, there was no superior superiority in the use of insulin for long-term outcomes. And um, we know that insulin could reduce that risk that I referred to, you know, when there wasn't a good understanding of the actual disease processes or the keto versus ketoacidosis. Right. Um, so it could, it could reduce those acute effects of the carbohydrate consumption. So that high and that low that can be like life-threatening, but now like the majority of the time when I, when we, when we talk to clients or we have people send us messages, they're not told any of this. They're just told you have to make sure you stick to your diet plan because you have to worry about low blood sugar, right? right. Mm-hmm. Hypoglycemia is only, or keto or ketoacidosis on the other end of the spectrum is only a concern um, when you're over medicating or in the case of type one diabetes. So the encouragement here is that if you are on the spectrum of prediabetes, um, you know, weight loss retention, uh, weight loss um, resistance, excuse me, um, it run, you see your family and friends and coworkers, you know, around you, uh, you know, for me, it was my, 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 uh, my dad's uncles, my family, my grandparents, um, where, you know, we, I could just see the effects of this. It's like, okay, well, yeah, it's great. We have an HbA1c now to, to track these over the next over the last 90 days. But right. having an HbA1c in a normal range, taking insulin and a, bu- a bunch of other medications for things that could simply be <laughs> fixed by removing the source makes no sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's just serving to further the further the problem without getting to the to the crux of the matter. But you know, with with, with all of these historical points and kind of seeing the timeline. Um, being able to zoom out like this, I think it, I think it really sheds some light on on kind of where we came from and and why we could be you know aiming at the at the wrong uh, goalposts still today. Even though you know, despite more information than ever, despite better technology than ever, 
And, and yet still we find ourselves getting sicker and then asking ourselves, well, why, and what can we do about it? Yeah. And I think maybe one of the points of clarification too, is that you and I live this, we were on this path, right? Mm-hmm. And then I had my dad to look at and say, okay, well, he's already there. Well, now he's off all his, med- he's off like 13 medications in the last six months, right? He's lost mm-hmm. 60 plus pounds. He's no longer a diabetic, <laughs> right? But he was at the point where he was on insulin, hundred plus units of insulin a day. What do you think his quality of life was like? Well, I know it was crap. I know he had headaches. I know his energy was, you know, you know, d- down the drain, like sleep was an issue, like mm-hmm. just, you know, mood swings, even I know I suffered from some of that in my mid 30s, you yeah. know, from from the insulin spikes and the insulin resistance that I had. So the encouraging thing here is that we have now with this 100 years of looking back to see kind of where we've lost our way. And one of the motivating factors that you and I have talked about, Tommy, is the fact that um, from a financial standpoint, this is an epidemic, like, you know, we're talking about billions of dollars to not even see improvements. So those costs are only going to go up mm-hmm. being obese, having diabetes, et cetera. So when you and I started this, we're like, let's turn on the microphones and tell our story. Well, what we didn't realize is that maybe in the, in the beginning, it was like, all right, I want to tell the story because I want to help people like us. But what I'm realizing is that the diabetes epidemic, um, because of its relationship to other health metrics and poor health outcomes, could literally transform the health, never, not just here in the United States, but of, of the country. And now I'm even more motivated than I was 12 months ago, you know, tossing around the idea of talking into a microphone with you. Yeah. Of like everybody at least needs to hear this. And even if this is just the, you know, the, the first step into the rabbit hole, like just thinking about it differently rather than treating the symptom, getting to the underlying cause and actually taking the responsibility back into your own hands rather than relying on pharmacology and technology, let's go back to, you know, the old, the old guard, so to speak, and just look through the lens that, you know, maybe there is another way and be open, open to it because you can always go on the medication, but let's never let you get there in the first place. Right. Uh, You you don't have to go down that path. um, Even if a lot of people, you know, kind of we're led down the right, the wrong direction. It doesn't, it doesn't have to continue, right? Like we can, we can make a turn, we can make an exit, off, off the highway at any point. Right. You know? Right. And it's, it's, I, I don't see, I mean, I see it being a, a, an uphill battle, right? Cause you've got, you know, the pharmaceutical companies, you've got <clears throat> the medical institutions, the medical field is being um, uh, consolidated like hospitalist groups and mm-hmm. the small little doctor's office, you know, especially here in Houston is going away, you know, out in the rural areas. Yeah, of course you'll have the, the local family doc that, you know, kind of does everything from, you know, possibly uh, saving a horse's life one day to delivering a baby the next, if you're out like right. in the middle of nowhere, right? Like and they, did West it, they Texas. did it for a bushel of corn too, right? Right, right. That still exists. But you know, in, you know, where we are, you know, you're seeing that going away. So the consolidation, in, in my opinion, being in clinical practice, and then being on also the insurance side of things is, it, it's almost gotten out of control, right? In terms of, wow. you know, looking at cost here in the United States, too. So we're up against that, then we're up against the the convenience and ease and engineering, uh, chemical engineering of our food supply, right? Right. So we're really stressing our willpower. Our system seems to be a little backwards. And then, you know, trying to figure out this information on your own is extremely overwhelming. So Mm -hmm. where do we start? Well, we start with the basics. 
um, controlling your insulin response is really simple. And that's why we believe fasting is, a, is the number one place to start. If you have weight loss resistance, you've done the yo-yo, you've put on and lost that 20 to 40 pounds, you've got 100 pounds to lose, you know you're pre-diabetic. Yes, reducing carbohydrates is going to be a huge part in that, but also increasing that time in between your meals is going mm -hmm. to accelerate that healing process. Yeah, that's going to be the only thing, the only way that your body's going to be able to drop the insulin levels low enough to, to give the cells time to recalibrate and to become more insulin sensitive. And so, and you know, if you're, if you're having trouble because you feel like you're on an island, you're, you're alone with it, or you don't have, you know, somebody else to talk to about, about fasting or, or insulin friendly lifestyles, then you, that's why we started a free community on Facebook, right? Like, yep join the community and, um, you know, get involved with the conversation. Um, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of really, really cool, inspiring stories. Um, people really kind of, um, you know, putting their lives out there a little bit and sharing them and, um, giving some good feedback and, and, um, just, just a great community that's growing. Yeah. And if you're on Facebook, so that's just fat, just search fasting for life community. Um, and then there's a couple of questions. Uh, you answer the questions, uh, we'll let we'll uh, admit you into the group, and then um, it's a it's a it's a small community because we've just started out doing this, right? So mm -hmm. we've had you know a, a much greater impact in how many people have heard the podcast, but you know only such a small percentage. Even though it's probably dozens a week at this point now, replying to emails and Facebook messages and comments yeah. on our our podcast posts and all that, but. Um, being in the group will get you in an area where there's like-minded people and there's a bunch of fasting groups out there, you know, fasting groups that have hundreds of thousands of people there on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that we're doing something a little bit differently, um, in that we want to keep it conversational. We want to keep it, um, intentional, meaning if you have a question, go to the group. If you, if you're not seeing the answer or getting the support you're needing, then reach out to us info at the info at the um, and then the last place you could is we are going to be doing eight um, of these challenges uh, this year. So we've committed to doing eight of the 10 day fasting guided fasting ramp up challenges. Right. And we're about to start one here on the 28th. Mm -hmm. I know you guys have been hearing a lot about the challenges recently. We just did an hour podcast about the year in review of like we didn't expect full transparency. I did not expect to do more than one or two challenges last year. But <laughs> The results and the demand and the waiting list has been just incredible. It, so it's like, okay, well, if this is a, a way to get people results and wins, then we're just going to keep doing it. So I know um, you've heard a lot about the fasting. We're in the middle of one right now. If you guys have interest in it, then, um, you know, shoot us a message. Let us know. Um, we're also going to be, you know, really working on getting some more tools into your hands over the first quarter of this year mm -hmm. um, in terms really of... Yeah, some guides and some, you know, some resources and digital resources and stuff as well. So um, the challenge is always kind of our home base right now, because that's where we get to interact with, you know, 30, 40, 50 people at a time. And we get to see the transformation take place. So um, just really cool stuff. And uh, please, 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 if you have not yet, go and add yourself to the Fasting for Life community. And we hope to continue to provide value and add support there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, Tommy, anything else? I think we kind of, I think we got that one. I'm hoping. I, I think that's, I think that's a really good one. I think the conversation is going to continue on that. And um, um, just, 
I, I love the perspective. I just love the fact that we can, we can kind of see where we came from and, and where we're going and, yep. um, you know, make some corrections along the way too. It's and interesting. We'll, we didn't talk about fasting until the very end. Right. And we'll, we'll, we'll put the link for the article and for the Facebook community in the show notes yep. as well. Cool. Yep. Yep. So um, if you're wondering where to go, we want you to have an action step, go to the Facebook community. Um, if you're already there uh, and you haven't gotten our fast start guide yet, go to our website, download the fast start guide. Um, that'll show you how to put one meal a day um, eating windows into your day to day life. Uh, super simple. It's six steps. We walk you through exactly what to do and how to do it. If you've got questions, reach out. Tommy, as always, thank you, sir. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.